probably let's move on. All right. Let's pray. Let's do that. God, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who indwells us and makes alive uh, your revelation to us of yourself and who we are and our need of you and how you supply that need in the finished work and person of Christ. I pray that this morning we come to love Him more and trust Him more and depend on Him more and reflect Him because of our worship of Him. Help us see your scripture rightly this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Exodus 35. Exodus 35. Welcome. Oh, some new, some new folks. Mr. and Mrs. Thomas. Very good. Good to see you guys. Blow bubbles. You know, it was funny. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows this. Where did you go on your honeymoon again? St. Thomas. And what road did you, did your little hostel? Well, that wasn't Thomas Place. It was Thomas Place. There's a theme. If you're going to establish a new unit, go to the name of the unit. <laughs> so she remembered her name? Yeah, very good. <laughs> what, mine? It'd be Germany. Rhineland. We can go to the well, you gotta, we, we, we had to misspell it to keep from persecution, my German family and I. All right, we're in Exodus 35, in case you're wondering. Uh, starting in verse 1, uh, we're entering the last leg of Exodus here. And the greater part of these last five chapters of Exodus are repetitive. We've been through this material before. Um, especially when we dealt with chapters 25 through 30. The major difference in those five chapters that we've already, with which we have already dealt and the five chapters that we're going to see here at the end is the tense of the verbs. Uh, you will, you will, you will. And in these in the last five chapters, it's they did, they did, they did. It's the obedience to the command that Moses was given on the mountain. What intervened between the time that Moses was given instruction on the mountain concerning the tabernacle and chapter 35. Failure. The golden calf incident happened in, uh, in between the, the last instruction that Moses was given about the tabernacle. He was down to give it to the people as mediator. He was the one relaying the covenant to them, the law that was, that was required in the covenant to them. And the golden calf incident Threw it off course. And so here we're picking up again after God has restored them, He's forgiven them, He's shown them mercy, and picking up where He left off of relaying the commandments of God for the establishment of the tabernacle to the people. What was ordered previously is now being carried out. Um, let's read chapter 35. Chapter 35, 1 through 29. I will tell you my intent... These next five chapters is to take larger chunks because we've gone through this material a lot. But there are some differences, and we'll point those out as we get to them. Verse 1, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord commanded you to do. 
Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skin and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought the brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskin or goatskin, brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastplate. And spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. That's a long passage. Before the building starts, 
God gives two preliminary commands through Moses. And it's Moses giving them. He's already received this. He's just now delivering it to them. These preliminary commands before the building starts. What are they? Keep the Sabbath. Tithe. Bring a contribution. Right? That's the way the, the language works. Keep the Sabbath and bring a contribution. Moses received them on the mountain, but was interrupted in giving them to people because of their sin. Now he completes that task. We have the Sabbath and the contribution that's necessary for the construction of the tabernacle. Prior to the cash cow incident, do you remember what was the last command Moses received uh, before coming down the mountain? Do you remember what it was? So last, what was it? We'll go down, I mean, structurally in the, in the covenant, yes. Yes, you're right. Technically, that's the last word God said to him before. Go down now. Before that, the covenant that he received, what was the last instruction, the last content, the, the, the topic that God talked about, about which God talked, uh, whenever he was giving him the covenant? What, what was it? Do you remember? Okay, there's that. That's, again, fun, administrative. Yes, but I'm talking content-wise. Keep the Sabbath, wasn't it? We've gone through four or five chapters of tabernacle instruction. How to build a tent, how to build the stuff inside the tent. And then it ended on, as you're building this, don't neglect the Sabbath. Even if you're doing a good thing, you can be a covenant breaker. Don't break one part of the covenant to fulfill another, is basically what it came down to. Keep the Sabbath. Where does he pick up again? He picks up right where he left off. Remember the Sabbath. Why do you think that is? The intervening thing was this huge breach of the covenant. Hearts going after something shining in the middle of the desert versus being true to God. This huge breach, God forgives them, restores them, and picks right back up with the Sabbath. Okay. In other words, God knows that his people cannot keep the law. The law is impossible to keep. And so he's, he's, he's reiterating it because of its importance, obviously, as an allusion to Christ. But it's, uh, he, he, he's building it in for the people. Okay. There's benefit to the covenant for the people. Yes. Part of God's covenant to them is to provide them something that's very foreign to their culture. Uh, rest. I mean, in that culture, you, you worked your slaves to death. You had to keep it moving or you weren't going to move forward in society. There was no rest. Part of the covenant of God for the people of Israel is a commandment to rest. So, so much, though, that if you're, not, if you're a covenant breaker on the rest that I'm giving you, you're out of the covenant. Kill them. Right? Yes. incapable of fulfilling the law like you were forcibly to, were told not to work right as a limitation a reminder of our limitation right in sanctification sure 
that, that could be application of the new, and you see that in Hebrews. It talks about entering into the rest of God. Yeah? I'm just thinking about it because I'm a task-oriented person. Uh-huh. And the temptation to become so focused on a task, even if it's a task that's supposed to be glorifying to God, like building the, the tabernacle, that, that, that their relationship with God suffered. And so the Sabbath was kind of a, 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 a protection a reminder to keep that relationship and not to become so task-oriented. And maybe that's just my take on it. No, I think you're right. I, I, and, what, and, and, in, and in focusing on tasks um, and, and getting something done ahead of schedule, so to speak, what is that displaying, if, if they were to do that with the tabernacle, what is that displaying? What's the hard issue he's getting at here? Look what we can do. Look what, look what I can do. This is, the, this is the idea of, I'm important. Look how fast we work. Look how fast we got it done. Aren't you glad you picked us? Isn't that the heart issue that, that, that could be going on there? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe? Maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure there's other things. but uh, That's something that I think is, is uh, well, it used to be the defining character of American culture, the, the hard work thing. Um, Chapter 31, verse 15. Just throw that out there. Chapter 31, verse 15. It says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. It's an exact quote from what we saw in chapter 31. He picks right back up. Out of that section, there's something added here, though, in, in, in chapter 35. Do, do you see what it is? What's up with the kindling no fire on the Sabbath? What, what, what is the deal there? Why would he sat? What an odd thing to say. I mean, we don't have electricity. What's going on there? Well, on the Sabbath, they're not to cook. They're to prepare on the day before for two days, right? We saw that with the getting man on two days then one of its, or on the Sabbath it got all wormy and stuff as a sign. You don't do this, you rest. So cooking, probably there's some of that. What is fire used? For what is fire used in this context? Light, heat, sacrifice. Light, heat, sacrifice. What else? If you're building something. So you can, smithing. Smithing. That's a, isn't that one of the four houses? Smitherings? Um, you have a fire used to do metalwork, right? And a lot of the stuff that they're donating, a lot of stuff that's going to be in the temple is metalwork stuff. It's overlaid with gold, overlaid with silver, overlaid with bronze. It's, a, it's a, again, a very practical, direct um, point that God is making here that they're not to light fires and their settlements, that dwelling places involves region or, or settled area, not to, not to light fires in their settlements, because fire is necessary for the type of work that they're going to be doing on the tabernacle. Again, it's a, it's a clear picture of don't sacrifice one element of the covenant for another, for fulfilling the other. By not even having a fire. Um, don't even give, uh, don't even lay the groundwork for that possible temptation to happen. Jesus said like this, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, plug out your eye, spare enter without those things into heaven, 
than to have your whole body thrown into hell. This is cutting it off at the root, the source of it. We can talk about whether or not Jesus is really advocating for personal maiming later. I don't think he is. Because you've still got the heart to deal with, even after you personally maim yourself. You can't cut your heart out because then that's a suicide issue. Anyway, we're, we're going around the circle here. But the point is to cut off the source of the potential sin. Tabernacle instructions ended with the, the Sabbath rest. And after the golden calf incident, the construction narrative begins with Sabbath rest. Why do you think that that is put here? We've talked about how to remind them of not to violate the covenant. But is there grace here? The thing that I think of whenever, because I think you had said this before when we went through the Sabbath before, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to do something on that day. And it was related to some of the stuff with like working in your fields and whatnot. Um, you have to be trusting in the Lord that you can still live and get everything done with only six days worth of work. And I think of it being a reminder to the people that, hey, God will provide for you. you don't have, you're not supposed to work on this seventh day, but God will still provide for you. There's a call for dependence. It's a reminder of their dependence upon Him by not working on the seventh day. Yeah, we talk, you're right. We did, we did discuss some of that uh, when we went over Sabbath. What, what else do you think is going on? What had just happened? Why place this here? There's a, we talked about the practical aspects of it. Don't violate one aspect of the covenant for the other. Why is he going to Sabbath right here? Because the wording in 31 says, above all, keep my Sabbath. Okay. So it was fresh on his mind. Okay. Fresh on his mind. They didn't do that in Egypt. They weren't allowed to. They didn't do it in Egypt. Right after what you quoted, above all, it says, um, so, above all, you should keep my Sabbaths, but this is a sign between me and throughout your generations. This is a gift. This is a sign of my, um, of my provision for you. Did they deserve this provision? <laughs> we just came off of the people of God dancing naked in the wilderness before a golden calf. Did they deserve this provision? Shouldn't he require them to work until they drop? There's grace here. The restoration has them again entering into his rest. What does that tell you about the nature of God? He's good, right? These are people who had betrayed him Because of the intercession of Moses and because of the nature of God, he forgives them, restores them in the covenant, and continues to provide them rest. After this great breach, that's the first place he goes. Don't forget my rest. I'm calling you to do this work so that I will be with you, but don't forget my rest. Depend on my rest. Okay, to be disobedient in the use of this gift will betray a rebel heart against God. The, the, the core issue is, do I trust Him? What Jeffrey brought out, do I trust Him? Am I dependent on Him? To betray that shows, no, I don't. What's the second thing He goes toward? What, what's the second commandment that he, that he gets at? 
the contribution. So Moses the mediator conveys this call for materials for the tabernacle. And this is, again, this is a, a word-for-word repetition of chapter 25, verses 3 through 7. All that's missing here is that it's based upon a heavenly pattern, and that's just kind of understood from, from the context. What are the two types of people called upon by this instruction? The skillful and those led. The skillful, the artisans, the craftsmen, and then those who are willing. willing. There's a, of a generous heart in the ESV, the NASB says a willing heart. I don't know what the nearly inspired version says, I can't remember. Those who are willing, I think is what it says. Literally, that means one whose heart impels him. They're driven from the heart to do this. The second person is a skillful craftsman. The RSV would say an able man. The uh, the authorized standard version would say a wise-hearted man. Literally, every person who is wise of heart, and we talked about wisdom and knowledge and, and, and how that was used, not just in those who taught, but, but those who were craftsmen who build shelves that hold things up and it's perfectly orchestrated and it's an artistic thing. It could be seen as wise at heart. Those are the two you see, a willing heart and wise at heart, both from the heart. So those who are impelled by their hearts to give materials and those who have knowledge and wisdom to apply it to give services. And there are many opportunities to give. And in this list we see in verses 4 through 19, it's a much more detailed list than we've seen previously. It pulls all that stuff from the previous chapters together into this one long list. There's lots to do. Here's a lot of opportunity to serve who's willing. Right? How do the people respond? Verse 20 through 29. How do they respond? Overwhelmingly generous. Is it quick? They think about it? They deliberate? Take up a committee? What happened? There was, they didn't form certain action groups? Their spirit moved in them. Those who were moved by their spirit... There was, uh, the, the words there, came and brought, or within the same verse, it shows kind of an instantaneous response. I think they teamed up with a bunch of non-Christians for social justice. I think the nature of the nation itself, yes, that's probably true, because we find out later that all Israel is not Israel, so you're probably right. Um, so, the whole congregation leaves Moses' presence. Then they instantaneously, those who are moved, come back and bring. Yes? How many? All of them? Everyone whose heart was stirred. I love the passive nature of that verb structure. Whose heart was stirred. Those whose hearts moved them returned with various materials for the tabernacle. Uh, some, of, some of the smart guys say that this was an official document listing the people who brought materials. There are three categories of people that are listed in this document. W- what are the three categories? Do you, do you see? Three categories of people. Um, the first one is men. Then there are women. women. And then the third is? Well, there's a, there's a title kind of at the end there. The people of Israel. 
the leaders of the people also bring out these the stones and the onyx and all this stuff. Why do you think it lists these three types of people? Does it, is that a limiting factor, the men, as far as the category? Not, well, I mean, other women. It, yes, it's, a, it's, it's all the men, all types of men, all types of women, and all the leaders. Is there anybody in society that's left out of this? Well, children, maybe, but they probably carried what mom and dad told them to bring. I think it's cool that it's everything from gold to goat's hair. So as you had means, whatever your means were. Very Baptist. <laughs> whatever your... <laughs> from gold to goat's hair. <laughs> but whatever your resources yeah. were, there was, there was a place for you. Yeah. If, if you didn't have gold or onyx or things like that, that didn't mean that you couldn't participate and you couldn't be a parties. You didn't, and, and the leaders were not excused from participating. And the poor were not excluded from participating. The only thing that was a factor is the willing heart. Right? That's the only thing that was a factor. Yeah. Okay, so where's the jewelry coming from if they've already melted it down to the yeah, we, 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 we wrestle with that a little bit. Uh, it seems that the, at the Golden Calf incident, they must have a lot of earrings. I'm just <laughs> saying, because that, that's, that's where the, the limiting, what they gave was the earrings, because that was a kind of a, a religious thing. They had the other stuff, and they still, they gave of it. It doesn't say they gave, necessarily gave all of it. So that there's still addition. Does that just tell you how much they plundered the Egyptians, though? <laughs> that was a lot of plundering. We have a million people, don't we? That's true. We, we do. There's a lot. There's a lot there. Well, they they had brooches, earrings, and earrings, armlets, all sorts of gold objects. I mean, it could have even been Egyptian items. Yeah, yeah, and and, and likely probably was. Um, all right. You have the elites not excused from participation. The poor were not excluded from participation. There was no rich or poor, slave or free male or female, in gifting and services here. All were included. All were one in the, in the, um, in the purpose of giving. In his systematic theology, um, Wayne Grudem gives three definitions for, for mercy, grace, and patience of God. He says, God's mercy means God's goodness toward those in misery and distress. He says, God's grace means God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. Unmerited favor. We, we sometimes refer to grace. God's patience means God's goodness in withholding punishment toward those who sin over a period of time. And according to, to Grudem, the, these three things, the mercy, grace, and patience, are all subsets of God's goodness. Grace from God is freely given, right? It's freely given. And Grudem makes a point in his systematic theology that there's really only one appropriate human response to God's grace. Can you guess? It's faith. Faith is the only human response that depends on something else, on some other. God's uh, our trust and dependence on the goodness of God. It's the one human one human attitude that is the opposite of depending on ourselves, but involves trust and dependence on another. 
For example, Al Gore trusts computer models that scientists tell him predict that New York should have been half underwater by 2013. He staked an entire fortune on this, and his trust and belief that you too will go green to, to forestall this coming disaster that was supposed to happen. They made a movie out of this. Several movies out of this. His faith is in the account of others. The polar ice caps are melted by now. Well, I, I'm not necessarily saying it was badly produced. I'm saying it was a bad presupposition. Okay. We were created... Thank you. We were, we were created to trust and depend. That's, that's part of the nature that we have. We're created to trust and depend. Specifically, we're created to trust and depend on God alone. But in our rebellion, we throw our faith to the next thing with a golden shine in the desert sun. But God shows mercy to us when that goes south, as it always does. He gives grace to our guilty hearts. And he is patient with our stubbornness. But he's free not to. He's free to not give grace. He's free not to show mercy. He's free not to have patience. Would he be less good if he didn't? Romans 2, Paul says this. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's been talking about the, the comparison between Gentile sin in Romans 1, and then the presumption of Jews judging those in the, of the Gentiles uh, but, but who are doing the same thing in their own heart. Do you suppose, O men, you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So as I'm looking at this passage, I'm seeing this restoration of Israel. And I'm seeing this beautiful expression of God's grace in, in leading them into the Sabbath again. Just a, a, Here it is again. And their response from a willing heart to God's gift of rest to give. He gives their responses to give. Do, do you see that picture? It's like an immediate thing. Those whose hearts impelled them reflect Him. Right? Do we presume upon His grace, His patience, when we continue to sin? What does this tell you about the human heart when we act this way? What does that tell you about the goodness of God as He forgives me yet again for that same circle of error spending my faith on the latest shiny thing. We see the results of his goodness to Israel. He restored their Sabbath rest and then called them to respond in generosity. So basically what he's saying, he gives them rest and then calls them, don't cling to the shiny things, the nice clothes, all the things you think you need to make yourself significant in this world. What's the purpose of what they're doing? What are they building? They're building a tabernacle. What's the tabernacle for? His presence will be with them. Your identity is in me he's saying. Display that. Not in the shiny stuff. Your identity is in me. 
Your worth is in my presence among you. I, I, I want to be clear, I'm not making the argument in response to God's goodness that you all need to know that we're launching into a capital campaign. We're not doing that. We're not doing a, a, a building fund thing. It's not going to happen. I know it's a Baptist thing. We're, we're just not doing that. There may come a time we need to work on the building, but th- th- today is not that day. Gold to go here. It's all coming. What I am saying is that when you're grafted into Christ, you become part of a lifelong capital campaign of building up the body in love. That's what I'm saying. Strengthening the structure of the church by striving toward your own holiness and encouraging the holiness of others. And holiness includes these attributes of God that we're called upon to reflect. Mercy, patience, and grace. We become what we worship. In what we put our trust and upon which we depend. If we're not displaying mercy and grace and patience toward each other, if we're not impelled to do so from the heart, can we say we've entered his rest? not presume upon the patience of God or that his mercy and grace will flow whenever we trip the spigot. And let's not withhold reflecting God's patience, mercy, and grace, but work toward hearts that reflect them freely. Hebrews uh, 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can your brother in Christ draw near to you in confidence to receive mercy from you to help in a time of need. I'm told that I can go confidently to God because of what Christ has done. Can my brother come to me in need because of what Christ has done in me? Am I reflecting what I worship? Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Psalm 119, 132. Can my brother in Christ say that the response of graciousness is my way? Is that what characterizes me? Am I reflecting the grace of God in my life? Jonah 4. And he, Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. That character of God makes Jonah angry. He wants to see the pyrotechnics of the destruction of Nineveh happen. He wanted God to display some righteous indignation toward Nineveh. Can your brother in Christ point to you as a picture of the patience of God? Am I quick to anger? Am I quick to speak? Am I slow to hear? Paul tells us in Romans 2 that it is the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. Have we entered into the rest of his Sabbath, that peace with God because of the finished work of Christ, such that we are instruments of his kindness that compels others to repent? Do our hearts impel us to be so? I want to mention this here at the end. Those of you sovereign grace guys who winced at free will in this passage, it's like, oh, why not that, that word? What is that, why is that there? And those of you non-sovereign grace guys who set up a little bit more sw- smug because the word free will is used in this passage, 
That Hebrew word, uh, the smart guys uh, told me this weekend that it's pronounced, I'm going to say this, Nadaba. Cause just because I love saying Hebrew, it's Nadaba. That's just a fun word to say ten times, Nadaba. It's only used in the context of offering. And it's only used in response to the goodness of God by the people of God. So here's the issue. You want to display free will? Reflect the God who called you, saved you, and is redeeming you. You want to talk about freedom? This is how freedom is displayed. By reflecting the God who has shown mercy, grace, and patience with us. That's freedom. We enter into His rest and there are called to reflect Him, to be truly free in giving, giving of ourselves for the building up of the body of Christ. Yes? This passage, it's, it's amazing to see the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And what He's telling them, then, He's telling us now, which is, it's a hard issue, have faith in my Son. They didn't know about the Son yet, but it's faith through the tabernacle, faith in God, faith in His Word, faith in, in what He says, be different, it's a heart issue. You know, keep the Sabbath, give, it's a heart issue. And today, it's, it's the exact same thing. It's, it's trust in God, it's have faith in His Son. Sin is not abolished, so to speak, yet we still deal with it, but it's been paid for. Mm-hmm. And we have faith, it's, just, it's the exact same message. And it's cool to see the connection between what he's telling them here with, you know, the small details. Right. With God's the same. They're giving to build, I guess if there's one takeaway from this this morning, they're giving to build the dwelling place for God in their midst. That makes them distinct. You're right. Paul talks that same way. John talks the same way. What we give where we spend our energy, where we show our freedom is by pouring out our lives, giving freely to build up the body in faith, in our faith, our trust that God is building it through us. Um, that's, that's what we're called to do. And, and we spend so much time, I think, uh, just, you know, navel-gazing a lot of, where am I, what am I... And there's some, there's some call to that. Personal holiness is a benefit to the body of Christ. But part of that is, is relation. I mean, all of the stuff that we're called to do is relational. All of it is community building. You, you can't love in isolation. You can't be kind in isolation. You can't have, you can't have a generosity and gentleness in isolation. We're called to build up the body. And that's, how, that's where we see where our heart is because it's not easy. All of us are flawed. We've got issues in some way. And some issues really trigger other issues and other people and it becomes a conflict thing. We need to be starting from the point of mercy, grace, patience. That's what he's shown to us. That's what we need to be reflecting. And, and it's a test of do we trust him that I don't have to be right all the time? I'm not saying... It's truth and love. We do a lot of truth in our circles. We really, we like truth. And it's good. We should. We're in a culture that doesn't. But we need to remember that there is another aspect of holiness. It's mercy, grace, and patience with each other and with those on the outside.
and it's a kindness that God works in us toward each other that we hope and trust and pray will bring others to repentance and build up the body, build the tabernacle that he's creating in his people. Any, any other comments from a little bit longer? Okay. Ms. Lee, All right. Uh, well, I'll pray then. God, I really appreciate you bringing passages for me to teach that I fail on so miserably. It's such a challenge to feel uh, like such a hypocrite on Sundays <laughs> because you're still bringing these things up to me where I fail. How I'm not gracious, how I'm not uh, patient, how I'm not merciful. And any mercy, grace, and patience I display, I know and take great comfort in um, that it is a work of your spirit and not of myself. Would you grow that in me? Would you grow that in us? That our first thought would not be the quick response, but the quick ear. Testing all things, and yet showing patience and grace and mercy in all things. Would you help us to respond in a way that reflects the great goodness that you've shown to us in Jesus? We ask for these things for his glory and for our good. Amen.